welcome to another episode of Tapping the Keg with me, Leighton Keg. Uh, today, we are actually going to take a little bit of a break from the spooky ghost stories. Uh, seeing as how this is a paranormal slash true crime podcast, we are going to go ahead and do some true crime. And to get that started, let's go ahead and do a quick summary of what we will be talking about today. This killer goes by the pseudonym of the Zodiac. That's right, we are talking about the Zodiac Killer. And I'm sure just like that scream, there was a lot of it around this time period. He has been unidentified until possibly recently. We will get to that much later. (laughs) But he has... And now this is this is wishy-washy uh, because out of everything I've looked at, three things say five confirmed and about another four things say seven confirmed kills. He has two injured, 20 to 28 possible murders, and he personally claimed that there was 37 murders. He has been a wanted fugitive since 1968. That is a long fucking time to be on the run long fucking time the well again seven confirmed murders five of them took place in the san francisco bay area between december 1968 to october 1969 his known attacks took place in benicia vallejo napa county in San Francisco. The Zodiac has been linked to several cold cases in Southern California and even in other states as well. From 1969 to 1974, Zodiac wrote several letters and about four ciphers in which he gave himself the name of the Zodiac. And again, we will cover all of this. This is just a quick summary. In these letters and ciphers, he claimed he was collecting slaves for his afterlife. I mean, slavery wasn't bad enough while we were alive. Now you want to continue it on after you fucking die? You piece of fucking shit. (sighs) Dude, I tell you, people, man, fucking baffles. Also, these letters not only taunted law enforcement, they also threatened further killings, killing sprees, and bombings if they did not print his letters and ciphers. They were... There were four ciphers sent all together. Obviously not all at the same time. And again, we're going to cover all this. But one of them was solved somewhat quickly. Again, we will go into that a little deeper later. While there was another one solved rather more recently, uh, 51 years later, 2020, leaving two, two ciphers to this day still unsolved. Out of four, only two. And one of them took 51 fucking years to fucking solve. I mean, out of fucking killers, I'm... You know, honestly, I probably get hate mail for this, and it is what it is, but definitely seems like a very intelligent person to not only have four ciphers and only have half of them figured out, and one of them took 51 years to figure out. I, I mean, this guy, he knew what he was doing, clearly. There were many theories of who the Zodiac was. There was only one person ever publicly named. We will get back into that later as well. Without giving his name, though, he was a former elementary teacher, elementary school teacher, I'm sorry, uh, and a convicted sex offender. And this 
This man also died in 1992. But my question with all this, especially this last part, did they have it right? The one publicly named person, was that who it was? I mean, personally, got my doubts. Uh, but again, we will cover this much later on. And I will say, I mean, it's it's been a wild ride with this one. I knew it would be. Uh, I mean, he's had several, several movies about him. One in particular, which wasn't that long ago, and... It was a really good movie, um, and actually from the research I've done and remembering the movie, that particular movie, The Zodiac, it seemed like it was pretty dead on with, with the research, so I, I'm sure there was stuff that obviously they exaggerated for the movie, I mean, it's fucking entertainment, you know, you gotta exaggerate a little bit if you want the watches, that's how they do it, you know, I mean, but, uh, Overall, a lot of the information that they did have in the movie did seem rather accurate as far as the research I have done on this. So, moving on. The first known murders for the Zodiac Killer were the shootings of high school students Betty Lou, who was 16. Uh, I'm sorry, Betty Lou Jensen, who was 16. And David Arthur Faraday, who was 17. This took place on December 20th, 1968, at Lake Herman Road in Benicia. The couple was on their first date. Can you fucking believe that? First fucking date, and you go out and get you guys fucking killed. Um, that guy probably felt real fucking great about that date. I mean, hell, if there was a shitty date, he didn't end up fucking worrying about it. <laughs> No, that, that was a terrible joke, and, uh, well, I was probably going to hell anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they had plans of going to a Christmas concert at Hogan High School, about three blocks away from Betty's uh, house, in fact. Um, the couple were said to stop at a friend's house. Then they went out to eat at a nearby restaurant. Then they drove out to Lake Herman Road, which was a known popular place for young couples to go. It was basically a lover's lane. Um, that's what it was. Uh, a little after 11 p.m., their bodies were found by a nearby resident whose name was Stella Borges, or Borges, uh, if I butchered that name, I apologize. <laughs> uh, it, it is, there's a couple names throughout this that I may pronounce wrong. Don't hold it against me. I'm a little stupid. It's okay. <laughs> I'm aware of it, and I'm okay with it. I mean, I've come this far, <laughs> so I must not be that dumb. <laughs> David was shot in the head while Betty was found 28 feet from the car, shot five times in the back. That's pretty brutal. Um, in fact, as far as David goes, it is said that he was actually getting out of the car when he was attacked and shot. Uh, so he was kind of halfway out of the car. Uh, from what I've seen, causing him to basically slump over and just slide down the car. 
Um, so basically his top half, from what my understanding of this is, was his top half was outside the car. His lower half was mostly inside the car. Um, I could be mistaken on that, but that's out of everything I've seen for this particular murder. That's how it came across to me. But 28 feet away from the car was Betty. And uh, she was definitely trying to get away. And he just unloaded shots into her back until she stopped crawling. Sad. Very, very fucking sad. These guys were just high school students, man. I mean, it doesn't get more fucked up than that. I mean, I guess, I guess it could. It could get more fucked up than that. But it is still a fucked up scenario to see high school kids like this just get brutally fucking murdered and for no reason on top of it so this guy was <laughs> he was clearly fucked in the head i mean you gotta be if you're you're going on a killing spree like this just randomly killing people that have no reason to be killed you are definitely a fucked up individual on July 4th 1969 about four miles away from the Lake Herman Road murder site the couple of Darlene Farron she was 22 and Michael Magu or Magu you know this is another one of those names and I, I already admit it I'm probably gonna mispronounce some names here this is definitely one of them uh, Michael I'm just gonna call Magu if I'm wrong I apologize I apologize to the family and all that. Uh, but he was 19. Drove to the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. And this was literally about 10 minutes after parking that all of this kind of went a little weird for them. So I'm assuming, though, that this, uh, this Blue Rock Springs Park was basically like another lover's lane for that section of uh, California. Um... But again, after 10 minutes of being parked there, a car pulled up next to them, but basically immediately drove off. Minutes later, now this is unclear if this was an actual second car or the same car. I am not 100% sure on that fact. So I don't want to say something and make it sound like a fact when I am totally unsure. But to be fair, <laughs> minutes later... A car pulled in right behind them. Again, uncertain if it was the same car or a different one. Uh, right behind them, though, and this is when somebody gets out of the car, walked up to the car, without saying a word, just straight up started firing. Fired a total of seven shots into each of them. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. I mean, again, no reason, no rhyme just walks up and just starts shooting into the car. <sighs> Seven shots into each of them. That's literally 14 shots. And on, on top of that, this particular one, uh, he fired seven shots initially. He walked away literally for just about 15 to 20 seconds, walked back over, and shot another seven times. Absolutely horrifying. You're going to literally fire seven shots. Bam, 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 bam. Walk away, which basically tells me he went to reload his gun, 
comes walking right back and just fires a whole nother seven rounds. Wow. Wow. This guy, man. I mean, he was on a whole nother level. And, I mean, he, as far as serial killers go, he was definitely ahead of his time. And I'm not sitting here saying I advocate for serial killers. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But taking what we know about serial killers now as opposed to then, this guy was miles ahead of his time. Obviously, I mean, 51 years to solve a second cipher. And two of them still unsolved. I mean, literally, the guy was not stupid. And that's pretty fucking apparent. July 5th, 1969, at approximately 12.40 a.m., a man called the Vallejo Police Department to not only report the murders at the Blue Rock Springs Park, but to also brag that he was the one that did it. He, he also took credit for the Lake Herman Road murders of Jensen and Faraday six and a half months prior to this. I mean, if you're not going to take that call seriously... After he tells you, hey, there was two others I killed six and a half months ago. I don't know why you wouldn't take that serious. But anyways, so the police obviously finally shows up at the crime scene. And Darlene was pronounced dead at the hospital. They, they got there and a brutal scene unfolded there. Michael survived. He survived despite being shot in the face, neck, and chest. He was able to give a description of their attacker. And this is the description. 26 to 30 year old male. 195 pounds to 200 pounds. 5 foot 8. Short brown curly hair. Uh, or I'm sorry. Short light brown curly hair. And uh, shortly after that... Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, they, they drew up a, a, a picture of this. Uh, and they started posting it everywhere. I'm sure they got a, a flood of calls about this description. But, yeah, I dude, just brutal. I mean, the guy got shot so many times. Lucky to be alive. And actually, in a situation so intense as that, I couldn't imagine to have any kind of description remotely like this is astounding. I mean, because you know your mind's not in the right fucking place at this point. You're literally being shot, and you don't even know why. There's no stopping it. You're just getting fucking shot. And to have the, the wits about him to actually notice these kind of details in a time like that, very fucking impressive. I mean, I don't know if I could do that. If I'm getting shot in the fucking face, neck, and chest, I don't know if I would be that attuned to see what this guy looks like or even fucking pay attention. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but I just couldn't imagine having that kind of wit about myself in a situation like that. So, I mean, yeah, I gotta, I gotta give him... He's money, man. He is fucking money. August 1st, 1969, there were three letters sent to three different places. Uh, presumably, wow, well, presumably, the fuck? <laughs> presumably, 
by the Zodiac. One letter went to the Vallejo Times Herald, a second letter to the San Francisco Chronicle, and the third letter went to the San Francisco Examiner. All three letters were almost identical, and they were actually examined by a psychologist who had actually said that these letters seemed to be written by a, a known, isolated, and brooding person. These letters were bragging letters as they took credit for the killings at Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Each of these letters also had a third of a symbol that were eventually called a 408 symbol cryptogram in which the killer claimed it contained his identity. And on top of that, he wanted and he demanded that they be printed on the front pages of each paper or he would spend the entire weekend killing at least a dozen people at random. I mean, wow. Wow, the nerve of this guy, man. I mean, not only are you just so self-centered in what you're doing, which is destroying lives and families, and you're so self-centered that you want the credit for this. And then on top of that, Oh, if you don't print my shit in the front page of your fucking paper, I'm going to go out and kill at least a dozen people this weekend at random because of you. And that's another thing. He tried to basically say the blood would be on their hands because of them not posting his shit in their paper. Crazy, man. I mean, the fucking balls on this guy. But moving on. I mean, this guy just... Wow. The Chronicle did, in fact, post something the next day. Although, funny enough, it was not front page. It was, instead, on the fourth page. And it was their, uh... <laughs> it was literally their third of the, uh, the cryptogram that they had received... So they just posted that picture, um, or cipher, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> and it said right next to it, We are not satisfied that the letter uh, we received was written by the murderer. It also challenged this writer slash murder would-be to write another letter with more clues on on his identity. Interesting enough, though, none of the threatened killings that he did say was going to happen if it wasn't posted on the front page on all three papers, none of those killings took place. And eventually, the other cryptograms were, in fact, uh, published. But again, eventually, and, and again, everything I've seen, I didn't see exactly when the other ones were published as opposed to that first one. Uh, but eventually they were. August 7th, 1969, another letter showed up to the San Francisco Examiner, but with one big notable difference. This is the fucking letter that he gave himself a name. And obviously that name was the Zodiac. 
I mean, again, thinking so fucking highly of himself that he went out and made himself a name. You know, and honestly, again, I mean, this guy was fucking decades ahead of his time when it comes to serial killing. And again, I don't advocate it. I do not. Not by any means what I am saying. But it's hard to not be impressed with his work. I mean, to go decades, I'm talking decades, of not being found, not being captured, having four ciphers not fully being solved. I mean, this guy is fucking brutal in every sense of the way. Literally. Brutal. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so this letter obviously was his response to that challenge that was set out for him, uh, referring to getting more information from Police Chief Stilts. The letter did in fact have details of the murders that were not made public, and he added... When the police crack his codes, they would have him. And that, I don't doubt. Um, I I do not doubt. Had they have cracked all four, they would probably actually have him. I mean, again, I don't know what these ciphers all entail. I I did find out what the the two did entail. Um, But the other two, obviously, how can you know? They never have been cracked. So, I mean, I, I gotta believe, you know, that he's probably not lying as far as that goes. But we will never know, I'm sure. August 8th, 1969. Just seven days after the first letters and ciphers were published, a couple from Sal- Salinas, California, named Donald and Betty Hardin, cracked the first cipher. There was no name mentioned. Shocking. I know. Fucking shocking. Shall we? I mean, what you mean? Shocking? No name? (laughs) Why would there be? Come on, man. Because they would slow down or stop his collection of slaves for his afterlife. Well, no fucking shit. They Absolutely fucking would have. This fucking guy, man. (laughs) September 27th, 1969. Brian Hartnell, 20. And Cecilia Shepard, 22. They were students at Pacific Union College. And they were picnicking at a Lake Beresa. Beresa? This is another one of those names. I just don't know. Sorry, guys. Barisa. That's what I'm going to go with. Lake Barisa. And I'm probably absolutely wrong. That's fine. Uh, They were picnicking there when a white man wearing a black executioner's hood type clothing um, with with clip-on glasses I mean (laughs) over the edge over the eye holes, clip-on sunglasses. Uh, had to look absolutely ridiculous. Had to have. 
and also had a cross and circle symbol pinned to his chest. Uh, I mean, literally like a... Now, this particular symbol, to me, it has two different looks to it, to me. Uh, Obviously, a crosshair, like if you're looking down a scope. But at the same time, this is going to be kind of fucked. But, I mean, this also, this symbol itself kind of does look like it represents a white power symbol. I don't know if anybody's ever pointed it out or even noticed, but it absolutely does. Uh, so, I mean, you got that going for you too, buddy, huh? You got just being an absolute utter fuckstick on top of being an absolute utter fucking racist. I mean, that that's exactly how it comes across to me. Wearing that kind of symbol is definitely probably not good. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was just a... Homemade, it almost looks like a piece of paper pinned to his chest with this symbol on this uh, executioner-style garb. I mean, it's wild. It's got to be fucking ridiculous. I mean, (laughs) he was also also carrying a gun, and according to uh, Shepard, I believe it was, that said this, or no, it was Hartnell. I think it was Hartnell. I could be mistaken. Um, but according to Hartnell, he believed it to be a possible 45. This hooded man told them he, he had just escaped from a jail, which I guess later on, a police officer stated it was most likely Deer Lodge, Montana jail, uh, where he killed a guard and stole a car. And now he's telling these guys, I need not only your car, I need whatever fucking money you got because I got to get the fucking Mexico. Um, He basically told him, hey, this car I just stole is way too fucking hot. I'm going to need your shit, all of your fucking money. I'm going to Mexico to get the fuck out of here. And uh, the hood man then had Shepard... Tie up Hartnell before he tied her up. He uh, also checked the tie job. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I praise her for, for trying, but obviously you should have known he was going to check. Uh, he checked the tie job that Shepard did to Hartnell. Clearly they were loose, so he tightened them to make sure he couldn't break free. And again, I get it. I mean, I I, I give her props for, for attempting, but I feel like she dropped the ball not thinking. And I mean, I, I guess, like, who wouldn't? I mean, you know, you got to try. You got to try. I get it. I get it. Um, he also checked, uh, you know, double-checked hers after he tied her up just to make sure, you know. He, he had to make sure that nobody was getting the fuck out. So by this point, this couple's thinking they're just really in a bad robbery situation, which this turned out to be so false. As he pulls out a knife and just starts stabbing them. Oh, man. I mean, it, it was brutal. It was a brutal fucking attack. I, I mean, I can understand why they would think it was a robbery after hearing that he just needed a car to get the fuck out of there and their money, you know? 
But man, no, this turned out to be a brutal stabbing. Hartnell suffered six stab wounds, while Shepard herself suffered ten fucking ten stab wounds. And I'm sure she got the extra for trying to make sure Hartnell could get out to possibly attack him. Again, I understand. But my God, did she pay the fucking price for it. Absolutely paid. Uh, the killer then went about 500 yards to where Hartnell's car was parked. He drew the crosshair slash white power symbol on the car door. And under that, he uh, wrote Vallejo 1220-68-7469 and September 27 69 at 6.30, by knife. Literally detailing shit. I, I mean, this guy, he wants to be the man, I guess. Uh, that's what it comes across as. This guy wants to be the fucking man of serial killing. I mean, and he's, he's working his way there, no doubt. I mean, even to this day, he is definitely top of the food chain. Um, I mean... You gotta stay uncaught to be top of the food chain. I mean, you can't kill one guy, get caught that same day you killed that one guy, and say, I'm the top dog. No. And again, I'm not advocating this. I cannot say this enough. Um, But what an impressive stretch of time that this guy has been wanted and never caught. I mean, unreal. At 7.40 p.m., the person called this person called the Napa County Sheriff's Office obviously to say he's the killer. Um from a payphone to report a double murder and claim to be the man that did it. The payphone was found still off the hook at the Napa car wash a few minutes after this phone call by a radio reporter named Pat Stanley. The phone was literally a few blocks away from the sheriff's office. And it was about 27 miles away from the crime scene itself. There was a fresh palm print lifted from the phone that was never matched to a suspect. I mean, they definitely have a print. I mean, I'm just wondering. I just want to know, have they tried to match this print uh, in these recent years? I mean, I feel like they probably have tried with, with probably very little success. I mean, I guess you'd have to have... And again, I mean, the guy claimed he did break out of a jail, so they have to have prints on this guy. So that's... I don't know, man. So either he just knew about the jailbreak and just kind of chimed in on it and said, yeah, I'm that guy, taking credit for somebody else's murder slash escape because he knew about it, just to try to make himself sound like a more fearsome person. Or they do have this guy's print, and some way, somehow, it's never hit from this palm print on the phone. I don't know. I, I don't understand this part of it. I mean, you have a fucking print for him if he was in jail. If this, if this whole story he said was true, you absolutely have a print. I don't understand... How there's no match. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm going out on a limb here and saying that the jailbreak 
uh, where some guard got killed and a car got stolen was not him. He just knew about the shit somehow and decided to cash in on it. Uh, that That is definitely my whole thought process on that. So, a man and his son were fishing in a cove nearby this whole crime scene when they heard screams for help. They ran over... Because I, these had to be some pretty brutal fucking screams, and I can understand why all the fucking stabbing that happened. <laughs> they ran over to go see if they can help, discovered the couple. Uh, they immediately got help from a park ranger, who obviously did call the sheriffs, clearly. And by the time the sheriffs have gotten to the scene, Shepard was conscious and did provide a detailed description of their attacker. Unfortunately, though, Shepard did slip into a coma, and two days later, she did die. I mean, it's sad. But later, Hartnell did survive and did also give details of their ordeal. I'm not sure, honestly, how good the details were, but my God, the brutality they suffered to the, the hands of this guy um, just fucking brutal and uh, I mean again I, I, I know that he did again give a description to the best of his knowledge man I just don't know how good of a description it was I mean it's hard to remember certain details in that much distress in a situation like that there, there's so much going through your head at once. I don't know if this description by him or the other person that actually survived and gave a description. I don't know how much of it was very accurate. Again, I know so much goes through your head in situations like that. It's hard to believe that they got any actual definitive description out of either of these guys. Because of the brutality they were facing. Because of the fucking sheer what the fuck moment of it all. It it definitely probably does alter your mind's eye for that whole time period that the shit's going on. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it could have been an accurate description from both of these people. But at the same time, there is still a chance. Details got missed. Uh, details might have gotten drawn out, uh, so it's hard to say for sure. But at any rate, I mean, so much already unfolded here. I am going to leave this where we're at now. You're going to have to come back, and we'll, we'll discuss it more. But man, this killer is something, man. Like, so brutal, for no fucking reason, still uncaptured to this day. One of the longest reigning uncaptured serial murders by far. At least top three. Uh, I can think of a couple others that are still uncaptured. Might have to go into some of those as well. So definitely top three of the most infamous non-captured serial killers to this date. I'm going to go ahead and leave off with a couple things here real quick. One... Check out my other show uh, with my buddy, Manny McDoucherson. And that show is called The Dumbest Podcast on Your Desk. And uh, we are actually on Spotify, Amazon Music, 
Uh, we are also on Samsung Podcasts, and there's a couple others, and I, I should have wrote it down. I feel stupid for not doing that, but there are a couple other links that we are on. Uh, so give that show a check out, man. Uh, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe, like, share, whatever. Again, dumbest podcast on your desk with Manny McDuchin and Clayton Keg. Absolutely good show, man. Very good show. Uh, tapping the keg, this show here that you're listening to currently. Obviously, this is also on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, and again, a couple others, and should have wrote it down. I feel dumb. But either way, we're there. Again, you like what you're hearing? Go ahead and uh, like, share. And also, once again, I do have an email address for Tapping the Keg. And that is tappingthekegpodcast at gmail.com. Send me some stories. Send me some questions. Send me anything. And I am also hoping to get something going to where you guys could go ahead and donate if you'd like. Uh, It would help the show to grow. I mean, it'll help certain uh, researches. It'll help better my equipment to give you better quality. Uh, So I will have something set up with that real soon, and I will let you guys know. For now, thank you for joining Clayton Keg at Tapping the Keg. See you guys soon. Thank you.